In the last two lessons in the book of Ecclesiastes, we have looked at the thought, uh, last two or three lessons actually, of uh, the search again for the meaning of life, and we've noticed one of the most, most well-known passages from the book, and we just finished that up. I did my best last week to hurry and get them done. Uh, but anyway, there was time and a season for everything. And in this lesson tonight, we find some of the results of the understanding of those things. It goes along with what we uh, have looked at in the last few lessons for there's a time and season for everything. Clearly, this is not everything that God has done when we listed those things um, as far as what he has been a part of and uh, what he created, what he has set into motion uh, and those things. Uh, but we find in this text some things that God has done where our pursuit for meaning is concerned. And I know that how we can recall, or we need to recall how in Solomon's pursuit, God was not in the picture. Uh, and Solomon is finding out the meaning of these things and understanding that when God is not in the picture, all is vanity. All things do not work out the way they need to be or we do not have the right mindset, if you will, with those things in, in life. So now we find that there, we find him there in the passages tonight and it changes one's perspective. <clears throat> you know, when you think about that and you think about one's perspective, how one thinks or views something in their life or events in their life and this, that, and another, we can most certainly say tonight that when God is not in someone's perspective or life, they don't view things in the right perspective. But when God is in their life, it seems when they allow God to direct their life, it seems that they do view things in the right perspective. How many times have you ever said this or had it said to you, well, you're just not thinking right. You think about that. You know, there's a lot to be said in that. I can remember when I was young, I, I was doing some things and making some, or wanting to make some decisions that were like, was going to affect me in, in the long run and not in the good way. And I can remember my grandfather, grandfather looking at me and saying, son, you're not thinking right. You're not in the right perspective here. And I've been told that as I got older too. Uh, so <clears throat> with that thought, <clears throat> We can understand that all things are vanity without God. So in the verse, uh, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3, What profit hath he that worketh in the, that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. You know, this was stated very clearly in the text back in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 3, where it says that what profit uh, a man, hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun. And also in chapter 2 and verse 22, where it says here, the Bible reads, For what hath man of all his labor and all the vexation or striving of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? So this was stated very clearly in other places in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in addressing these texts, we noted the futility of one laboring. 
And certainly we can say that there are situations where we might wonder about how profitable our work is. You know, when you think about man's work, there are many whose occupations are miserable to them. Many. Or even inadequate. For many, it's merely about worldly pursuits. And it's never enough. And we most certainly have seen the vanity in all of these things. But I want to suggest to you tonight and tell you that there are blessings in work. You know, we, and we're talking about physical work here, and we can also flip this over to spiritual work in the church. But when one is able to work physically to have the health, we just prayed that we have the health, that we can even come out here. Some don't have that. But there are blessings in physically in our lives about being able physically to be able to work. As I get older, some of you, I've heard you say this, that I can't do what I used to do. You know, that's a great difficult thing for a man that when he becomes to the point that he can't do what he used to do to be able to work like he used to do and work hard and provide for his family and all these things so there's great blessings in being able to work physically now I can remember when I was a little boy I didn't think about it that way man I'd be given a task to do and uh I can remember uh, one time in my, when I was younger, I don't really know how old I was, but I thought I was probably middle school, uh, fifth, sixth grade, um, whatever the case was. And my grandfather had an apple orchard. And that apple orchard sat on the edge of a deep ditch, then the road was down here. And he had, y'all know what a sling blade is? Yeah. He handed me a sling blade and said, I want you to clean that ditch from here down to there because when those apples fall, they'll fall down in that ditch and we want to be able to get them out. I can remember standing at the end of that ditch looking all the way to the end of that last apple tree and I was like, oh, Lord, help me. I will never be able to get all that done. It's an unending task. And boy, I'd sling, you know, you know something about a sling blade, it's slanted, and you, and you got to hit the, you got to hit the, the, the curve, the concurve of the land just right to be able to swing and, and cut the weed. You know, now we take a weed eater with an attachment and go down through there or whatever. They probably had them then. But he wouldn't let me use them. Because later on in life, when I wasn't around anymore, he'd take the back by the, the bush hog on the back of the tractor and back it up there and push it against that bank and cut that down. I thought, boy, we could have saved me a lot of work if we'd have done that years ago. But you know, there was, there was great blessing in it. I didn't realize it then. 
taught me how to work, taught me how to complete a task, an unending task, because life's like that sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes there's things in life that we look at and say, oh man, there's no way I'm going to be able to complete this. There's no way I'm going to endure this. I can't get to the end of that row. You're talking about rows. I can remember going to the garden and picking green beans. I love picking peas. They was up top. You didn't have to bend over. We'd have to pick green beans. You had to get down and roll that thing up and right there and pull them things out. Oh, it'd break your back. It looked like that roll was a mile long. But there's great blessings in work, isn't there? <laughs> you know, but a lot of people in their own work today, I've just mentioned that, that they're miserable and, and they're not happy. And, and, and whatever their pursuits are, you know, if you're not happy in a work that you're doing, you're not going to do a very good job. You're not going to move up. You're not going to progress and, and, and do more for the company, this, that, and other. But if one is happy, you, you go the extra mile, don't you? Yeah. You'll do more than just your eight and hit the gate, as they say. You'll do more because you're happy. You enjoy it. You know, there's nothing I enjoy more than playing with the minds of little kids. You know, I enjoy that. Oh, some days are hard. But I enjoy looking and watching them and, and, and uh, when they leave and they say, Mr. Matthew, I love you. I love you too. You know, that does my heart good. You know, I don't know that I'd call that work because <laughs> I enjoy it so much. But again, you know, we see it's repeated, but with a different perspective, with a view toward God. In verse 10, it notes, I have seen that God has given the task with which the sons of men are to, are to be occupied. Now notice in this the expectations of men. Men, mankind was made, not originally, well, from original, from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, and we can speak of that, to be occupied. They were, be, they, were, they were set to be occupied, to be doing, doing something. You know, when you go back to the, the book of Genesis, early on in the book of Genesis, Adam was to keep and dress the garden, wasn't he? He was to name the animal. He had things he had to do. There were things he had to do in the garden of Eden. Man was made to be occupied. Is expected. But while increased, you know, when they left the, the garden, increased labor was a part of God's uh, curse to man, Genesis 3 and 17 through 19. And labor has always been expected in a part of life. We are made to be busy. <clears throat> Genesis 2 and verse 15. As I tell you, told you to go back into the book of Genesis. And in chapter 2 and, and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put in him the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Man was created to be occupied in verses 19 and 20 of that same chapter. And we're reminded that we are <coughs> expected, we are expected to keep working. To be able to, to provide for our, our families. You go to the book of 2 Thessalonians. In chapter 3 and verses 10 through 11, where the Bible <clears throat> reads there, there to us. Now, if I can find it, I'll, I'll go to it. <laughs> chapter 2 Thessalonians 3, I'm sorry, not 2. 
For even when we were with you, that we commanded that any would not work, neither should he eat. Well, very familiar passage to us, isn't it? Yeah. Uncontraire to the world today, uh, working is a new thing in America. Um, but I, I think there's a lot to be said about this. He goes on and, <clears throat> and he says, Therefore we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now then there are also such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. You see, there, there, there's scripture about that. Man is created to do that, expected to do that. Ephesians 4 and 28, the same thought. There's many proverbs by Solomon that address the slothness of man and the principles of labor. But you know, there are blessings to be associated with good labor, as we're talking about in our, in our text tonight. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 11 speaks of the productiveness uh, when the Bible reads to us there in verse 11 of chapter 5, it says, when good increase, when goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with <clears throat> their, their eyes? We feel good about ourselves. We provide for our own. We're often able to uh, help others because of our work. And we're, most certainly we're able to support the Lord's work. But what about the lesson in that? If you are able, do you need to be working? Yes, you do. If you are able, you need to be working. Not to be a sponge off of somebody. You know, we got more people sponging now than we ever have <laughs> than I can remember of growing up. Why can I get free? I'll tell you what, you put free on it, it'll attract flies like honey, wouldn't it? Yeah. Everybody's looking for something free. But what that, that work means to you is about perspective. How do you, what perspective do you see physical work and the vocations that you and I have and even the work in the Lord's church? What is your perspective, Solomon's saying? You take it and you think about those things. What profit hath he that worketh, that wherein he laboreth? I've seen the travail, he writes, which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in <clears throat> it. You see, one thing we need to pull from this is we can choose to be grateful for what we have, the physical work. I know, I, I've already said, I think it was just uh, this afternoon, Mike and I was sitting in the living room, we was talking, and he preached at Richmond's Chapel this morning, and, and uh we was talking about work and what he had accomplished this weekend and, and different things that he had done, jobs on the side and, and this, that, and other. And uh, I said, and guess what? I said, it's already Monday again. <laughs> now, you know, some folks who, who are retired, Monday's just another day, ain't it? <laughs> another day, you get to, when it's raining, boy, it just makes it better sleeping, doesn't it? <laughs> sleeping in late. But it's already Monday again. But it's our perspective. You can choose to do our best or very little. And God would, Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, God would choose that you do your very best. 
that you do good and have a good perspective over those things. Well, let's go on to verse 11 before our time gets away from us. In verse 11, he says, He's made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. One version uses the word there, appropriate. Made everything appropriate in life and in the world. The point is that God has made this world to work. By, by that we mean that it works. The way God has set things into motion, what God has expected in, in, in between the relationship and in, in, in human beings and man and a woman, it works. But the world has grossly moved that around, hasn't it? What God has set into motion and what God has created, it works and it keeps working. We've already talked about that. God put the stars and, and the heavens into motion and this earth into motion and the planets in the ocean and, and all these things together and it still works. Water still evaporates from the, the, the oceans and the water into the, the clouds and it brings rain. It still works, doesn't it? You see, that's the whole point. There are things that while we're engaged in activity, it seems frustrating and discouraging perhaps uh, to some of us sometimes, especially a large task that, you know, seems uh, uh, never ending in, in different things. But you know, God has, has made everything beautiful. He has made everything in this world. You know, when I think about how blessed we are with the ability to see, unless you've ever known someone who has been blind or, or whatever the case may be. There was a, there was a man back home uh, when we were at uh, River Road and I was serving as a deacon there. And I may have told you this before, but he was blind. His wife led him wherever he was at, wherever he went. But he loved, he loved woodworking. And it was so amazing to me to what, and he had never seen at all. And it was amazing to me how the blind person that he was was able to construct certain things how he visualized it in his brain that he had never seen. He was totally relying on someone else and his feeling to know how things were. He made me a cross. I still have it. And he put a base on it. And it's not cut evenly and it's not cut the base, the little slot that the, the cross is about that big and, and, and it goes down in there and, and and when it goes down in there, it's sideways. And, and, and the cross part of the cross is sideways. And it, it just always, I've held on to it because it just means so much to me. But the beauty of our eyes and how he's seen things and how he never will see things that we've seen and how we're blessed to see the beauty that God's created. Man, when I, when I drive the bus early in the morning, it's a clear morning, man, and, 
And sometimes, I don't know, a few weeks ago, that big old moon was going down in the western side, and I was driving toward it. It, it almost looked like I was in a theater. And everything was so crystal clear, and this big, huge moon was sitting up there. And if I'd had time, I would have taken a picture, but it was just so, so beautiful. I see so many beautiful sunrises. Uh, and, and all things that God has made it is beautiful. You know, <clears throat> that time or season for everything, and sometimes this is the right thing to do, we've talked about, and others that it wasn't the right thing, or, and, but we're undone at the right time, there's harmony. And see, that's what God did. God put everything in motion at the right time, and it's all in harmony. When the fullness of time had came, what? He sent his son, didn't he? You know, another observation we see is results of God's work all around us and his creation. Psalms 19 and 1 says, The heavens declare his glory. Psalm 8 and verses 3 and 4 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? You know, God visits us each day, doesn't he? God orchestrates and puts together every day. Should time stand, he will put together another day at 12 o'clock tonight. And we'll begin that day. See, when we begin to look at this world and the way it works, as it ought to be working, that man hasn't messed up, we can see his beauty all around us. Truly, he created all the thing, all the things appropriate, as we read in verse eleven. You know, we we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, we have a lot that God has blessed us with. You know, there's another powerful statement that gives our life purpose. We've got a desire to continue on uh, as a rule unless the philosophies and actions of men rob you that, that of that inborn sense that God has made everything from the beginning. He's given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He's seen the travail. But you know, he's put eternity in our hearts. You know, this is a statement that makes a case for God. Why does man think about eternity? Why does he seek to preserve this, his life? You know, we are made in the image of God, Genesis 1 and verses 26 and 27. And though no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end, as we see there at the ending of verse 11, when he says he has set the world or eternity in their heart, then no man can find out the word that God maketh from the beginning to the end. You see, this has been both negatively and positively considered. Some view, in one of my studies of this, the sense of eternity with frustration. The pursuits of this life only, and thus they're bitter because they can't find life's true meaning. 
others. And I believe this is the proper perspective and view. View it positively. Our sense of eternity gives us purpose and reason to do what we do every day. We're just pilgrims traveling through, aren't we? This world's not our home. But some view eternity as being frustrated. Oh, I, I, I got to I gotta go there. I, I, I get to go there, but I got to do all this to get there. They find frustration in that. And it shouldn't be. We should be positive with that. We're, you know, we're dealing with a situation where we need to do what, uh, what God wants us to do. As we talked this morning about authority. But what about verses 12 and 13? So I know that there is no good in them, but for a man or nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Solomon begins by observing, he says, I know. He's experienced it, remember, through all our last studies. He knows the goodness of God and the purpose in life with God. He knows it without God because he didn't have God in him at the very beginning. But he knows that it's better with God. But he gives three reasons that labor is good. Nothing is better for man than to rejoice. Why? Again, this goes back to perspective. Your attitude determines why you would rejoice in your labor and rejoice in the things that God has made and, and, and even having to keep up the things that God has made while on this earth. You know, we as Christians are constantly reminded to rejoice. Philippians 4, verse 4, Matthew 5, verse 12, even in tribulations and persecutions, we're reminded to rejoice. But what about that part that says to do good in his life? You know, you can be the hardest worker in the world and have the greatest wealth, but if you don't share, you will be miserable. I think that's, the, that's one of the main lessons out of this. We can be the richest people and have the most money and be blessed with the most materialistic things, but if we don't share, we will be miserable. Again, Ephesians 4 and 28, work to have some to give. Young people, it's good to work. I hope your parents are teaching you that. I hope your parents are, are teaching a good work ethic in you. To be able to work, and, and, and it's, it don't start when you get a teenager. It starts when you're little in, in grade school, in first, second, and third grade, in kindergarten, to work and, and get that homework done and work hard in school. To be able to get things done and completed. You know, that's a, that's a concept I see a lot of kids missing today, is being able to finish a task. To be able to stick something out. And I'm going to tell you, that goes, that goes a long way in life when you get married and when you're working from the workforce and you get older and things. Being able to stick something out. You know, there I've seen people through the years who just, uh, just bounce from here to here to here to here to here and they never stick anything out. They've got this going, and they get for them, and they move here, and they move here. And it's okay to always better yourself. I'm not saying that. 
but we need some stick to itness <laughs> in our lives today. Um, the goodness of God to do good in their lives, to give. Our Lord went about doing good, but we don't need to forget to do good and share with others. He speaks to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. Again, this is a recurring theme throughout this book. If we have the resources resources in life to have a good life, we should not feel guilty about that. But you know, a lot of times in the world in which we live, those who are living in times where success sometimes are made to feel guilty because they're someone less fortunate. And again, that's not a good thing. The Bible says there's nothing wrong with being rich, nothing wrong with having a lot of money and being blessed. It's just our attitude toward it, isn't it? Yeah, how we use it. And they said all these things are the gift from God. Enjoy what you have and be thankful. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. James 1 and verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4. For every creature of God is good. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. What about verse 14? I know that whatsoever God doeth it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. And you go on in verse 15. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth or seeketh again that which is past. Verse 14, it shall be forever. When God, what God does is permanent. We can't defeat the plan. Psalms 119 and verse 89 says to us, Forever, O God, o Lord, your word is settled in heaven. You bring that over in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 25, your word will endure forever. What God does is permanent. There's a permanent dwelling place eternally one day for all of us. And there's no need to add anything to it or take from it, especially when we're talking about his word. What he does is effective and complete. When God finished the creation, he saw that it was good. Genesis 1 and verse 31. As we've already noted in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from, the, from above, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. God does it that men should fear him. Verse 14, what he does is purposeful. He desires we reverence him. God created this world so that when man or even society reverences him, all things work better. That's a good point for us to remember. But are we thankful for those things? Far too many of our troubles today are the result of ingratitude and rebellion against God. With that thought, we're going to close our lesson. He says, that has already been 
and what is to be has already been. A repetition of Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9 described as going on day and the day out. <clears throat> that time led to his all his vanity observation with God in the picture. But now with God in the picture in Solomon's life, it's much more about God being in control. You know, we need to understand that. God is in control. With that statement, you and I can trust in passages such as 1 Corinthians 1, or rather 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you. We're reminded that God's will is in place and he expects us to follow it. And God's will will not do what it needs to do unless you and I allow it to do that. You know, tonight I ask you the question, have you, God, have you allowed God to control your life? Have you allowed God to, for his will to direct your life <clears throat> in all facets of life? Maybe tonight you haven't done that. Maybe you haven't allowed the, the blood of Christ to come in contact with you to wash away your sins and you need to become a Christian. Maybe tonight you haven't allowed uh, the forgiveness of God. God can forgive you whatever you do if you're willing to confess it and repent of it. Tonight, whatever your need may be, please come. Together we stand and as we sing.